You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter number 5 this morning, if you would. Luke 5 is where we're going to be at. Our theme for the new year is launch out. Uh, From Luke chapter 5, I'm really excited about it. We're going to take the next six weeks or so uh, and and teach through this uh, passage of Scripture from Luke chapter number 5. And some people are saying, whatever happened to Ephesians? We didn't finish Ephesians. We're going back there, okay? Uh, So probably the next six weeks or so we'll spend here in Luke chapter 5 as we look at this passage. And then once we finish that up, we'll go back to Ephesians uh, and uh, wrap up the book of Ephesians before we head on uh, throughout the rest of the year. I'm super duper fired up about uh, 2019 and everything that lies ahead uh, in this new year. Uh, I want to encourage you to be here tonight at 5 o'clock. Tonight is our Vision Night service at 5 p.m. tonight. Uh, We're going to take a look at our our church calendar for the year, some uh, exciting events that we have planned to help you uh, grow in your Christian faith. Uh, we're going to take a look at some goals that we have set for our church uh, for the, the next 12 months and, and asking what we're asking God to do for us uh, together. Really exciting stuff. We also have one of the things I, I enjoy the most every single year. We have a year in review video where we take a look back at the uh, year prior and see what God did in our, our church family. You will not want to miss out on that. If for some reason you absolutely cannot be here tonight, uh, we will post the video on our Facebook page tomorrow, uh, but you will not want to miss it. It's, it's incredibly encouraging. Uh, what God has done through his church here in the last 12 months and what we're excited about what God's going to do in the year ahead. Luke chapter 5 this morning, uh, the uh, first of four books of the New Testament we refer to as the Gospels. It's the good news of who Jesus is. Uh, the, uh, it begins with the story of Jesus Christ's life, and then it goes on to the book of Acts and talks about what happens after Jesus left this earth. Uh, Luke was one of the writers of the Gospels. Uh, Luke was actually a medical doctor. Luke was not an eyewitness to the events that took place uh, in his Gospel. Luke was, you can think of as an investigative journalist. He went on and asked a lot of questions and had a lot of interviews and read a lot of writings and uh, heard a lot of first-person accounts and wrote uh, from there uh, his uh, uh, gospel that he has uh, for us here. So because of that, there will be certain details and certain uh, gospel accounts that aren't found in others. And so I would encourage you, if you've never read through the gospels, it's a great way to start out the new year reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just the story of Jesus and who he is. Uh, Luke chapter 5, we find ourselves this morning. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 1. It came to pass as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. He entered into one of, them, one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he left speaking, he said unto Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. Simon answered and said unto him, Master, we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. When he had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. They beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draft of fishes which they had taken. And also was James and John, the son of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. When they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. 
I grew up about uh, 10 minutes or so from Kentucky Lake in the western part of, of Kentucky. Beautiful, beautiful country to visit. Uh, it was a very boring town to live in, I can say. Uh, the, all I can think about as a teenager is how do I get out of this town? Uh, but it, it was exciting to sometimes go out on uh, Kentucky Lake. It was a man-made lake uh, to, to to, uh, my, my friends like to fish. My granddad liked to fish. Uh, I never really grew up fishing. My dad took me fishing one time. Uh, and he tried to, uh, my dad didn't like the fishing, so he tried to dissuade us from actually going fishing. You're gonna have to get up very early in the morning. Oh yeah, that sounds like fun. No, like really, really early before the sun's up. That sounds like even more fun, right? We're gonna sit in a boat and we're gonna be very, very quiet all day. Ooh, this sounds like a great time. My dad tried to make it as awful as he could, but it just didn't work. I just wanted to go. So me and my brother, we got up. Uh, it was something ridiculous, like 3 a.m. Uh, we went to, down to the lake. We got out in the boat. I was so excited. And I began to just like any kid would do. I was probably seven or eight years old. Ask 10 million questions. How big is the fish we're gonna catch? What do we do when we catch the fish? Are we gonna clean the fish and eat the fish tonight? And I just began to ask all these questions. I think I saw a fish over there. We should totally go over there. I think there's fish over there, Dad. And he said, you've got to be quiet. And I said, okay. And so my brain began to go and I began to ask more questions and more questions. And finally he said, Anthony, the reason we're not catching fish is because you're talking too much. Oh, so I have to be quiet. Yes, if you're very, very quiet, and you don't talk, especially while dad has his eyes closed. <laughs> we will catch a lot of fish. And so I did, man. I sit there super duper quiet for like what felt like hours. It was probably more like five or 10 minutes or so. Uh, and needless to say, we came back that day and we caught absolutely nothing. That was my one time that I've gone fishing in my entire life and we caught nothing. And to make up for it, my dad took me out for dinner that night. We, we went to a place that specialized in catfish, and we bought fish and ate it. Uh, there was a lot easier that way, I'm sure. But the, the lake that, we, that, that, that I grew up near is known for uh, crappie fishing and catfishing. Uh, and it's uh, some of the best uh, in, that you can find in western Kentucky because there's not a lot of places to fish there. But the thing I liked the most about uh, living on Kentucky Lake was going out in the summertime. We would have a, we had a ski boat when I was in high school, and we would pull a, a, a big uh, tube behind that, and we'd uh, go out on the weekends and spend a lot of time on the water. I love spending time on the water, and I thought, man, it would be great to, to like, do this for a living, to, like, be out on the ocean, uh, open seas, and so I joined the Navy out of high school, thinking I'm going to see adventure and uh, things like that. Six years of shore duty, I never once ever even got into a, a, a ship on, in port. Uh, I never even got to walk on a ship before uh, in my entire naval career, six years of that, uh, which, uh, looking back now, was actually a huge blessing, right? Uh, but the fishermen in Jesus' day, this was just a way of life. This was a common occupation. These were just your average Joe dudes that would go out and would fish. And this is what they did for a living. These guys were very, very skilled fishermen. Uh, these guys knew exactly what time of day to go. They knew where to go. They knew how often uh, they should go out. And they generally would go out with a team of guys that would go out and fish together. Here we find uh, Simon, who's also known as Peter. Uh, and this is where Jesus finds Peter. Peter is out fishing. And we find in other gospel accounts that Jesus had gone by while they were fishing and washing their nets. And he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they left and went with him. Luke goes one step deeper in his explanation of who Jesus, how Jesus met uh, Peter, James, and John in this case here. Jesus finds these people that want to hear the word of God. I love verse number one. Take a look if you would. Uh, when it came to pass, as the people pressed upon him, why did they press upon him? Not for miracles, signs, or wonders, but to hear the word of God. Man, I love that passage. Oh, that you and I in 2019 would desire to hear the word of God. 
I just want to hear what God has to say from his word. I want to read his word. I want to meditate on his word. I want to memorize his word. I want to study his word. I want to hear the preaching of his word. And these people, they were all up on Jesus because they just wanted to hear the word preached. And so Jesus said, uh, these uh, folks probably would have been on a hillside in some way, Jesus to be able to uh, get out and communicate with them, uh, got into Peter's boat and launched out just a little bit of ways uh, out uh, into the the harbor there uh, so that his voice could carry across the water and people could hear him. And then to show the power of God, Jesus tells Peter, hey, I want you to launch out into the deep. I want us to go a little bit deeper. We're gonna go catch some fish. And Peter in his mind says, hey, I don't know who you are, but I'm a professional fisherman. And I don't know what you've been doing all night, but we've been working all night. I don't know if you've ever fished here before, but we've spent the last probably eight hours or so fishing here, and we have caught nothing whatsoever. And here's where everything changes. He says, but at your word, I'm gonna let down my net. And he did, and something miraculous happened, and it changed Peter's life forever. You see, as we look at this uh, passage of Scripture in relation to our New Year theme this year, first of all, I want you to see that launching out is about faith. Peter knew that lake. He had spent all night in that lake. He knew where they had fished. He knew where they had dropped their net. He knew uh, where the fish were normally at and where they normally weren't, but he trusted Jesus, and he launched out anyways because he launched out by faith. You see, faith pleases God. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, Hebrews eleven six says that it's not improbable to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So for you and I, in the year ahead, we must live a life of faith because faith pleases God. I believe most of us sitting in this room would say, I want this year to please God with my life. I think most of us would say that. But faith is the only way that we can accomplish that. It requires faith on our part. You see, Peter had to follow Jesus even when he didn't fully understand. Peter had to follow Jesus even when he thought he knew better or knew what was best for him or what was best for the guys that he was fishing with. He launched out by faith because faith pleases God. You see, faith is the power of the Christian life. You have no faith, you have no power in your Christian life. It's the fuel that keeps it going. It's the engine that pulls the Christian life. And God wants you and I to live a life of faith because that's where God's power is found. Take a look in your notes, Matthew chapter 17, verse number 18. Uh, In this case here, the uh, apostles had gone and tried to rebuke a devil that was in a a child and they they couldn't do it. Matthew 17, 18, and Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. The child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart later and said, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Jesus said this, you're not doing what you could accomplish. You're not reaching your potential because of your lack of faith. And if you had faith of the grain of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. Now, Jesus is speaking figuratively there before, okay? I want you to understand that. We take a literal interpretation of the Bible 
for example, when the Bible says that God created the, the earth in six days, we believe he created it in six literal days because we take the Bible literally. We don't allegorize the Bible. In other words, mean, think that it's, it's some type of book of fables. We take it literally, except when it's obviously being used as figurative. Uh, for example, uh, last week we took a look at how uh, David had said that he rests in the shadow of God's wings. Uh, that was just a, a metaphor for the way he finds his rest underneath the promises of God. We don't literally believe that God has these huge wings that cast a large shadow that you and I should go sit underneath to find rest. Uh, it was speaking figuratively there. Jesus, when he says, your faith can move mountains, he's speaking figuratively there. Why do I spend a lot of time doing that? Because there are people who believe they can literally move mountains by their words. And when they don't, then they claim that there's some, something broken somewhere with either that person's faith or with God not being good to his promises and things like that. It's a figurative speech meaning God can do anything in the world that he chooses to. And the power that's found in that is your faith in him that he's able to do that. Again, if you have your notes handy, look at Hebrews eleven six. It's up just a little bit above uh, in your notes here. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That he's what? That he's God, that he's able, that he's capable, that he's good to his word. And if we believe that God is able and God is good to his word, then what does that last part of the verse say? That he will reward those that diligently seek him. You see, you and I will find the good stuff in the Christian life when we live a life by faith, trusting, believing that God is able and that he's good to his word. That's where the good stuff is found. But you see, when we launch out, limited faith will hinder our journey. You see, can you imagine Peter saying, well, I, I've already pushed out a little way. I don't wanna really go out into the deep water over here. I'm just gonna stay closer to the shore. He would have never caught the fish that he had. He would have never seen God's power the way that he did if, if he hadn't moved in accordance with faith. Again, if you read through the gospels, you can see again and again where the work that Jesus wants to do is often limited by limited faith. Take a look in your uh, notes again here, uh, Mark chapter six. Jesus had gone and he wanted to do some great works in his hometown. And people said, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. And there he could do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. Jesus came, wanted to do something incredibly awesome that would blow everybody's mind, and everybody was just like, oh, it's Jesus. You remember Jesus? He lived down the street from us. You remember his brother James? That's, that's Mary's kid. What is he doing? Who does he think he is? And Jesus' ability, get this, Jesus' ability to do great works was limited by their faith. And you know what it says he did? He laid his hand on a few sick folk and he went and taught some, some people. They missed out on the blessings of God because of a lack of faith. Friend, this year, you and I will miss out on the blessings of God if we cannot live by faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And so launching out is about strengthening growing our faith together. But launching out is also about Jesus having his way. <laughs> if you take a look, look at uh, Luke chapter five, verse number two. And he saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. 
And he entered into one of them, which was Simon's, and he prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, I don't know if, if you, when you read this, think the same thing that I think. Jesus walks by. There's a couple of ships that are sitting there, there, a couple of boats that are sitting there, and nobody's in the boats. And he just goes and gets on the boat and says, hey, hey, Peter, come over here back to your boat and come, come take me out a little ways here. It would be like this. Jesus coming down and sitting down in the front seat of our car and say, hey, can you take me for a ride right quick? It's like, hey, first of all, who are you? Second of all, what are you doing in my car, right? But Peter doesn't think that. Peter says, okay. And you see, launching out is about knowing that Jesus has a plan and getting on board with his plan. Jesus has something that he wants to do and I'm gonna get involved with what he's trying to do. He has a plan that's greater than my plans and I'm just gonna trust him and follow by faith. That's what launching out looks like. You see, when Jesus is Lord, we obey whatever he says. You see, the word Lord literally means master. It means you're the boss. It means you call the shots. And when Jesus is Lord, whatever he says to do, we simply do it. That's what launching out looks like. For our family, when we came to, to Honolulu to plant this church here uh, in the middle of the city, we knew that, that Jesus had led us here. We didn't receive any audible confirmation. God didn't speak audibly where we heard it. He didn't write anything in, this, in the sky. I didn't have any dream where I saw a 900-foot Jesus telling me to do it or anything like that. I just saw an area that was greatly in need of the gospel. I saw a people that needed a strong Bible preaching church and God says, this is for you. And let me just tell you, it didn't make sense, but Jesus said, do it, so we did it. And here we are. Mind you, we had people say, you probably shouldn't do it. You should find a lower cost of living area. Uh, there's probably, if you, if you have to plant a church in Hawaii, there's definitely more economical places to plant it. Uh, maybe you should, shouldn't go in the city where everything's super expensive. Maybe you should go outside of the city. But we knew where God had called us to. He called us to an urban setting in the middle of a city where the most people are. Where you and I sit this morning is the most populated area in the entire state of Hawaii. Did you know that? The most populated, where we sit here today, this surrounding area is the most people in the entire state. And so just like Ariel, we wanted to go where the people are. If you didn't get that, you probably don't have kids or your kids aren't old enough yet. But honestly, we knew that God was calling us to people. And so we came. People said, bad idea, really expensive, never gonna make it. I found out this a uh, little bit after the fact. But in the last 20 years, there had been 18 other Baptist churches that had come to Honolulu that had started and every single one of them had failed. 100% failure rate in the last 20 years before we got here. Before we started who we call a Baptist church, the last successful Baptist church that was planted in Honolulu was 20, no, 28 years ago. So odds weren't in our favor. But when you launch out in faith, it's never about the odds. It's about faith. It's about believing that God is good to his word. It's a belief that if we do things God's way, that God will have his way that if we follow God's plan, that his plans are always greater than our plans. And let me just tell you this, I could have never fathomed in my little brain what God would do in just five years, 
I thought, here's, here's a funny thought. When we moved into what was our old auditorium, which is now our, our kids' uh, classroom that we have in there. It's funny because sometimes uh, people, when they come to our church and they're new, they say, you guys used to have church in there? It's just like, yeah. Like in the kids' class, hey, when we moved in there, it was the biggest auditorium I'd ever seen in my entire life. It was massive. And it was so big that we had even talked about, mind you, that used to be our main auditorium in there. We talked about actually building walls and segmenting up classrooms in there and having enough seating for 25 to 30 people in there. We thought, that'll get us by for at least a year or so, give us some classroom space, and we'll be okay. Here's the problem. We didn't have the money to put up walls, and so we thought, man, we'll just leave it and let it be. Funny thing is, within six weeks, there was enough, uh, so many people that we didn't, couldn't put walls up in there. I couldn't have fathomed what God had done through our church. And, and I hope you can't fathom what God's gonna do in the next five years, the next 15 years, the next 25 years through his church here because we're just getting started. This is not the end goal. This year, we as a church family are launching out by faith to see God do more this year. You say, was it about building a big church? No, it's about having a massive impact in our community and reaching more people. Sunday morning attendance, I could honestly really care less because it's not about numbers and the number of people that sit down on a Sunday morning. It's about the number of people that go out into a community and make a massive difference because of what Jesus has done for them. I am very, very interested in seeing that kind of launching out this year. But you see, Jesus is Lord and he tells us what to do and we just do it in Luke chapter six. Uh, turn over probably one page in your Bible to Luke chapter six, uh, maybe two pages for me. Luke six forty six. And Jesus is talking to this group of folks here and they've been calling him Lord. Luke 6, 46. I would circle this, start, underline it in your Bible. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Hey, the word, I don't, maybe you don't understand. The word Lord means master. The word Lord means boss. And if you're calling me boss, you're calling me Lord, you're calling me master, you're not even doing what I'm telling you to do. So you can't call me that. You keep using this word, and I don't think it means what you think it means, right? The word Lord means master. If Jesus is Lord, he's the boss, he's in charge, he gets to tell us what to do, and when he says launch, we launch. When he says walk, we walk. When he says move, we move, because he is Lord. You see, our obedience proves our love for Jesus. I think... If I were to ask every person in this room, hey, raise your hand this morning if you love Jesus, I think probably every single hand in this room would go up. We, we would all say that we love Jesus. We sing songs about how much we love Jesus. We teach our kids to love Jesus. Of course we love Jesus. Did you obey Jesus this week? Like in every area of your life? I'm not talking about you made a couple mistakes because that happens to everybody. I'm talking about you knew what you were supposed to do and you did it. I think most of us would say we struggled with that a little bit this week. Jesus says that's proof of your love or your lack of love. John 14, 15, he tells Peter, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you really love me the way that you say that you do, you'll obey what I tell you to do. And again, I'm not talking about making mistakes. I'm talking about willful disobedience. I know I should share my faith. I'm just not going to. I know I should spend time with God on a daily basis, reading his word, spending time in prayer, but I just don't want to do it. I know it's Sunday and I should be in church worshiping Jesus along with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I just don't want to do it. I know I should be giving my tithes and offerings the way that God commands me to, but I just don't want to do it. Then you don't love Jesus the way that he wants to be loved. Oh, I do. 
When I heard that song on the radio the other day, I got chicken skin. I got a little bit choked up every time I hear amazing grace. I love Jesus. Your love for Jesus is not emotional. Your love for Jesus is action. He doesn't want you to get choked up when you hear amazing grace if you're going to disobey him throughout the day. Does that make sense? It's okay to get choked up in amazing grace. Man, I do too. And I was, I, was, uh, I was listening to some song this week. I think it was It Is Well. Uh, and man, I just, I just got choked up. Like I thought I was gonna have to pull the car over. Like I don't cry, but my eyes were all watery and stuff like that. And I was just like, man, I, don't, I can't even drive, man. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, choked up. It does me no good if I then willfully disobey Jesus in my life. It doesn't do any good. We need the both of those together. I need to have a heart that's broken over my sin. I need to have a heart that loves Jesus, that just the thought of what he's done for me brings me to a special place in my heart. I need all of those things, but I also need to obey. And you can't have one without the other. Can you imagine Peter saying, Lord, we worked all night, and it's been a long night, and, and Lord, you know I, I would normally do anything for you. I, I really love you, Lord. I, I appreciate everything you've done, but my boat's staying where it's at because I just finished. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Jesus saying, hey, Peter, drop down your net, and Peter goes, oh, Lord, you don't, you don't understand. I've been working all night. I just finished washing my net, and I ain't getting ready to throw it back in the lake again. Uh-uh. He'd say, Wow. You know what? Peter not only would have showed his lack of love for Jesus, he would have missed out on, on a blessing. He would have missed out on seeing God do a supernatural work in his life because of a lack of faith. See, launching out is about the journey with Jesus. You see, this is just the beginning for Peter. Oh, Peter would go on to do incredible things in his life. Again, if you read through the Gospels and see the things that Peter got to see, got to be a part of, it was incredible. But you know, when it comes to, to launching out, when it comes to growth, growth takes place one step at a time. One step at a time. You know what Jesus told Peter? Hey, Peter, I'm in your boat. Why don't you push out a little ways and let me talk for a minute? He pushed out a little ways and let him talk. Then he says, I want you to launch out into the deep. Go a little bit deeper out into the water, Peter. And Peter says, okay, I'll do that. Hey, Peter, let down your net, Peter. Peter goes, okay, I'll do that. Then after they bring all these fish in, massive haul come in. They get back to the shoreline and Jesus says this, Peter, follow me and from here on you're gonna be catching men. Peter goes, all right, let's go. And Peter left his stuff and, and went on. The other gospel accounts don't talk about this. They just say that Jesus said to, to them, follow me and they left their stuff and went and followed. Peter had just pulled in probably one of the biggest hauls of his career in fish. So much that their boat was so full of fish that they needed help. Hey, guys, can you come over here and give us a hand? This is too much. We can't get it all. And they begin to load it into the other boat, and the boats began to sink because they were so full of fish. And what did Peter do? Did Peter go back and weigh it and find out how much of a, of a catch they had brought in? Did he go back and clean them and get them ready to take it to the market and sell it? You know, you know what Peter did? He left. You know Why? Because here's the thing, when you begin to love Jesus, when you begin to walk with Jesus, when you begin to launch out in faith and you see God do amazing things in your life, a boat full of fish is like the last thing on your mind, really. 
The things that this world has to offer, last thing on your mind because Jesus is so much greater. You see, when Jesus is my focus of everything in my life, an extra buck an hour at work is really just a joke. Oh, we'll give you $2 more an hour to work on Sunday. Oh, let me forsake the house of the Lord for what's gonna work out to after taxes about eight bucks a Sunday. People do it all the time, all the time. Hey, we're moving to, to Wisconsin and some little town out there because uh, lower cost of living, we can buy a house. Great, what, what churches are out there? I don't know of any churches out there. Have you looked at all? No, we haven't. You've been looking at houses, but you didn't look at churches? Yeah, you're missing the point. But you see, when you're walking with Jesus, that becomes the first thing that you look at. I'm moving to this town, I don't know nothing about it. I'm gonna find out if there's a good church there that I can continue on my path of growth on. <laughs> and I, I love it when people say, well, it's a big town. I'm sure there's good churches on every corner. Hmm, let me know how that works out for you. Because needless to say, we live in a, a society today that in America, there's not just good churches on every corner. But when you're walking with Jesus, a boat full of fish doesn't mean nothing to you. You wanna be with Jesus. When you've seen God work in response to your faith, there's nothing else that your heart will want after that. The things of this earth no longer hold the power that they used to. But you see, you can't rush the growth cycle. I remember as a, uh, as a kid, uh, my parents had gone out of town for the weekend and I was, I was probably 15, 16 years old uh, and I had a friend who had a four-wheeler and we were gonna go four-wheeler riding. Now, uh, just to back up a little bit, in fifth grade, I was riding a four-wheeler in my backyard uh, and I hit a barbed wire fence, caught my neck right there, I had to have 25 stitches in my neck, just missed the uh, main artery right there and the doctor said if it had been a half inch over, I would have bled to death before I made it to the hospital. And so my parents were anti-ATV. You can't do it. Don't ever ride it again. You almost died. You cheated death. Don't let it ever happen again. Great. So my parents go out of town. My friends got uh, a four-wheeler. They said, hey, we're going to go four-wheeler riding. So, Great. And so I called my parents. I said, hey, I'm older now. I'm super responsible. I promise you I'll, I'll go slow and stuff like that. And my parents said, no, you're not going four-wheeler riding, especially while we're out of town. Definitely not going to happen. Fine. What do you think I did? hey, my parents are out of town, they won't know. I'm gonna be super safe, super careful so that nothing will ever happen, they'll never know. And so uh, we get out, we have a blast, and we go through mud puddles, we're slinging mud everywhere. It was one of those where you have to like take your finger and wipe your gog the mud off your goggles. It was that kind of day, it was awesome. And I get back to the house and I realize I'm covered head to toe in mud. And I'm like 15 years old, I have no idea how to operate a washing machine, right? And so I take everything outside and hose it down with a water hose thinking that'll be good enough. It wasn't good enough. So I had to put it in the washing machine. And of course, you know, as every uh, teenager would think, you know, well, if you're only supposed to put one scoop in there for a regular load, this is really dirty. So I'll need like six scoops, right? Instead, I'm a genius, aren't I? And so needless to say, as the, the wash cycle begins, you know, soap suds start going everywhere. It's like what you see on TV, right? Those, those movies where like the soap suds start coming out and everything. It was awful. And so uh, I, I stopped it and I get my clothes out and it was a mess in there and everything. There's soap everywhere, water all over the floor. It was, it was terrible, uh, terrible. And so uh, I, uh, I, I then take my clothes out and they're fairly clean. So they're, they're clean enough. And so I throw them in the dryer. I can't figure out why they're not dry because uh, I pulled them out in the middle of the, the wash, the, one, of the, one of the cycles. I don't even know what cycle it was. Um, I just throw it in the dryer and they were wet as could be. And so I can't get the water to go down in the washing machine. 
And so I'm pushing all the buttons, and all it wants to do is keep spinning. No, I don't want to. I want the water to go down. There's not a go down button on there, right? And somebody's back here scratching my head and stuff like that. And finally, I had to call my friend's mom, right? The friend that I've gone ATV riding with that I wasn't supposed to. And I said, hey, Miss Evelyn, I hate to bother you. I said, but I'm having a problem with my parents' washing machine. And she goes, why are you doing laundry? It's a long story, Miss Evelyn. I really don't want to get into it right now, but I just could use your help. The, the water will not go down in the washing machine, and I don't know what to do. And she said, has it gone to the end of the cycle? I said, what's a cycle? And she said, well, you have to let it run its course. What do you mean run its course? It's, it's spewing soap and suds everywhere. I can't let it run its course. And she said, you just got to do it. And so I sit there thinking to myself, how do I get around this? Is there some way to drain it? You know, I'm looking everywhere. This is before you could Google what, how do you get water out of a washing machine, you know? I'm just trying everything I can to get the water out. And you know what I had to do? I just had to let it run its course. I had to, let, I had to pick up all the soap suds that were on the floor and throw them out the door and stuff like that. It was, it was a mess. It was a massive mess. I had to just let it run the cycle, though. When you're walking with Jesus, you're just going to have to let it run its course. There will be periods of time where it's uncomfortable. There will be periods of time where you don't fully understand what's going on. There'll be times where you begin to question, am I even doing the right thing? But you just gotta let it run its course. And you cannot rush the growth cycle. I was having um, uh, discipleship yesterday morning with a friend, uh, and he goes, man, he goes, I just wish the level of growth that you have, I wish I could have that. And I go, I get it. You're headed that direction. He goes, I know. I just feel like I'm so far behind. And I said, here's the thing. I made a decision probably 17 years ago to start walking with Jesus every single day. I'm 17 years ahead of you. You, you can't make a comparison. Where you're at today, you've got to continue on your growth track that you're on. And as you walk with Jesus, it will be uncomfortable. There will be disappointments. There will be frustrations. But let me tell you this. Jesus never disappoints. God will never let you down. He'll never leave you hanging. I promise you that but it's worth it. That's where the growth begins. When we begin to launch out, when we begin to obey Jesus, when we begin to go through this growth journey with him. You see, lasting change in our life begins with our heart. If you read through the Bible, you'll find that change always happens from the inside out. Change always begins with my heart first. Everything else flows from that. Sometimes churches will try to give you rules and guidelines to live by. I think guidelines are helpful, especially when you're getting started. You should read the Bible every day, not because it's a rule, but because God wants to speak to you. You should spend time in prayer every day, not because you have to or because it's a rule, because it's something that will help you to walk with Jesus. But then sometimes churches begin to add on additional rules that aren't really found in the Bible that are maybe loosely based on Christian principles and things like that. And we begin to get this idea, if I can follow the rules, I'll, I'll begin to grow. It's not about following rules, it's about getting your heart in line with God's heart first. You see, when Angela and I began walking with Jesus, um, we had to undo a lot of bad behavior. Uh, for me, I, I, I love music to this day. Uh, I used to, whenever I would get paid, this is back in the day, uh, I used to, to go to the mall and I would buy CDs. I mean, I would get paid uh, here in, in Hawaii, it used to, in Pearl City, they used to have a Tower Records in Pearl City. Oh, man, I could spend hours, hours in there. And every now and then they'd have an import international section where music from all over the world, you could go and buy it on CD, right? All this weird eclectic music you'd never heard of in your entire life. And I began to spend probably anywhere from $50 to $100 on CDs every single payday because I, I just loved listening to music. 
And so over the course of time, I had amassed a CD collection that was huge. I mean, I had a, a bookcase in our, our bedroom that was just full of CDs, probably $10,000 worth of music at least. I loved it. I lived by it. When God began to make changes in my heart and in my life, I realized that probably 95% of the music that I had on that shelf did not please God. And then I, was, I had come to a crossroads. I had to make a decision. What am I going to do? I know this doesn't please God. But I know if I truly want Jesus to be Lord, I've got to obey him in every area of my life. And one Sunday night after church, I went home and I began, I got a black garbage bag and I just began to throw CDs in it. My wife said, what are you going to do with that? I said, I'm going to throw it away. She was like, are you serious? I said, well, yeah. I said, I can't know that this displeases God and allow it to be in my life this way anymore. What was the message on that Sunday night? I have no idea. I really don't. Well, did, did they talk about music? They didn't say a word about music. I just knew that if Jesus was Lord, he was the boss now. And I tossed probably 10 grand worth of music. I mean, we, we had those uh, big bins, you know, that you roll out to the curb. So like, it was full to the top. I had to wait till the, they dumped that and, and put more in it the next week. There was so much. You say, you wish you hadn't done that? No, it's one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Who told you to do that? The Lord. And that's why lasting change happened in my life. Because the Lord told me to do it. Had my pastor said, you should go home and burn all those CDs, I might have done it. But I probably wouldn't have. If I had have done it, I would have done it with a bad attitude. But because Jesus told me to do it, I had no problem whatsoever getting rid of all that. And I don't miss it at all. I'm telling you this, the journey with Jesus is one step at a time, one step of faith at a time, and it takes time. You see, Jesus wants you to travel this life with him. Jesus wants to be with you every single step along the way. And it begins with knowing for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus. You see, you're not born with Jesus riding shotgun with you automatically. You're not born with Jesus in your life automatically. You're born at odds with Jesus. You're born in opposition to God. You're born as an enemy of God, the Bible tells us. All of us have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God because of your sin, because of my sin. We've separated ourselves from God and have become enemies with him automatically by birth. You didn't have to do anything. You were just born a sinner. Your sin also has a price associated with it because when you die, you will spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. This is called the second death. Revelation 20 speaks of it. And the wages of your sin is death, separation from God forever in hell. That's what we deserve. And if you and I die in our sin, barring any outside intervention, we'll be separated from God forever in a real place called hell that burns with real fire forever. And there's eternal torment where the wrath of God is poured out for all of eternity. Worst thing in the world that could happen to a human being. But God loves you too much to allow that to be your final destination. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and to pay for your sins. You see, Jesus came, lived a perfectly sinless life so you don't have to be separated from God he died in your place. God says you're supposed to die because of your sin. Jesus says, I'll take his place. And Jesus died for me on that cross. And he paid for my sin on that cross. But I had to accept his payment. You have to accept his payment. There's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Jesus' payment for your sins. Today is your day. And he promises once you do that, he'll stick with you through thick and thin and you will never, ever be alone, ever because Jesus is your Savior, He's your Lord, He's your Master. The Bible says that we are co-heirs with Jesus, meaning that we're basically brothers with Christ. 
God is our Father, and that we're a family. And we get to walk this journey called life together with Jesus, together with a church like this, because Jesus has made us family. And Jesus wants to travel this life with you. If you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home when you die, there'll be an opportunity for you to receive that before you leave here today. Don't leave this room without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. Launching out is about worship as well. <laughs> Verse number eight, Simon Peter saw it and he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, for he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of fishes which they had taken. You see, when it comes to worship, worship is not a song we sing. Worship is a heart that we bring. Worship is not a time where we get together on Sunday morning and sing songs together as a church. That's not what worship is. Worship is a recognition of who Jesus is in light of who I am. It's understanding who I am in light of who Jesus is. It's a recognition that I'm a sinful man and Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. It's a recognition that I can't fix anything, but Jesus can fix everything. I don't have the answers. Many times I don't even know the questions to ask, but Jesus has the answer to everything. That's what worship looks like. And when I carve out time on a Sunday morning to say, Jesus is super important to me and I wanna worship him today, that's an act of worship. When I carve out time throughout the week and I spend time in Bible reading and prayer that because Jesus is worth it, that's worship. When I've got my music cranked up to 11 in the car and I'm going down the freeway, singing my guts out to Jesus, that's worship. Worship is not a Sunday morning thing where we sing songs together. Worship is my heart for God and a recognition of who I am in light of who Jesus is. Peter goes, oh, 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 I've seen too much. (laughs) Jesus, get out of my boat. Get out of here. I am so sinful that I can't even be in the same boat with you. You gotta get out. I've, I've royally messed up because you are so high, you are so great. That's worship. That's a recognition that you and I deserve nothing. I've met people before who say, well, I'm a, I'm a decent person. I think if anybody deserves to go to heaven, I think it would be me. <laughs> That's the opposite of worship. Worship says I am a wretched, pathetic sinner deserving nothing but death and God's wrath, but he loves me and he saved me and he's so good to me. That's what worship looks like. And Peter worshiped him because he recognized who Jesus was. You see, worship isn't about Sunday, it's about every day. It's not about carving out time on a Sunday morning to worship. It's about living a worship lifestyle every single day of the week, recognizing who you are and who Jesus is. Psalm 29.1 says, Given to the Lord, O ye mighty, given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We're blessed in the fact that we live in a place where it's very easy to worship. It's very easy to look out and see how good God is. It's very easy to look out and see how great our God is. You're part of a church family that's unique, that's special. What God's doing here, he's not doing it every church in America. He's not doing it every church in town. We're part of something special that God's given us here. It's very easy to worship God because he's been so good to us and the blessings that he's given us. But you see, worship isn't just gratitude for what God's given us. Worship is a recognition that even if I had nothing, God is still great. Even if I have no health, God is great. Even if I had no family, God is still great. Even if I had nothing that this world offers, God is still good. 
and Jesus is so great. That's what worship looks like. Final thought this morning, launching out, is about pursuing Jesus' mission. We as a church this year will pursue Jesus' mission again with greater fervor and greater intensity than we ever have before. You know what Jesus' mission is? It's pursuing people. That's it. Jesus' mission is pursuing people. If you take a look at uh, verse number uh, 11, I'm sorry, verse number 10. And also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, and Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land and forsook all and followed him. I can't imagine what was going on in, in Peter, James, and John's brain when Jesus says, hey guys, we're gonna stop catching fish. We're gonna start catching men instead. You and I look at that and they go, oh yeah, that was the calling of the first apostles. Oh yeah, Jesus is gonna take the gospel worldwide now. Oh yeah, these guys are gonna go and impact people's lives. Jesus never said all that in that statement. He said, hey guys, come with me and we're gonna go catch some men. And they said, okay. Don't really know what that means, but do we need our fishing poles to catch men? Do we need nets to catch men? Do we need bait to catch men? How does this work? I don't know. I, I think we'll just leave everything here and just follow Jesus because Jesus' mission would be greater than anything that they could imagine with their own life. They were used to catching fish and putting food on people's tables. They were now going to catch men and bring them to a Savior that would change these people's eternity. Friend, you and I have the opportunity to take the message of Jesus Christ and give it to people and see their eternity changed forever. That's what he wants to do through us. You see, growth never happens in the comfort zone. If you're planning on launching out this year, it's gonna require a little bit of faith on your part. It's gonna require you to get outside of your comfort zone. I was greatly encouraged by one of our single adults yesterday that came to community outreach for the first time. And I said, are you nervous? She said, I'm a little bit nervous. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful that you're here. I know me and my Christian life, I had told Jesus forever, I'll do anything you want me to do. If you want to tithe, I'll tithe. If you want me to teach a Sunday school class, I'll teach a Sunday school class. If you want me to uh, stand up and give a testimony in church, I'll do that. I'm not gonna go tell people about my faith though. I'm just not gonna do it. That, like that's one area that's 100% off limits, never gonna do it. And you know, when I decided to give that area over to Jesus too and launch out a little bit, I began to see blessings in my life that I never imagined before. I had never led the, uh, a person to Christ. I was 24, 25 years old. I'd never shared my faith and never led anybody to Christ before. And I stepped out on faith and asked God to do that. Asked God to use me and Angela that way. Funny story, this family had come to church and uh, they weren't saved and they had, uh, they had in expressed interest in knowing more about the Bible and more about the gospel. And so uh, the pastor of the church we were at, he said, he said, I want you guys to go by and visit them uh, and, and talk to them about the gospel and see if they'll be willing to accept Christ. It's great. Me and Angela go out, it's a Thursday night. We've never done this before in our life absolutely terrified the entire drive to their, their house. They're, they live in, in they, they lived uh, in, at the time in Pearl City over by the condos that are directly behind the Sam's Club over there. And we, we drove out there and we get in, they invite us in, we sit down on the couch and we talk. We talk about what kind of work he does. He was a pilot. We talk about her. She was a photographer. I asked her what kind of uh, camera she used, what she liked shooting, stuff like that. I asked him what kind of type of planes that he flew, what he, where he liked to fly. We talked about where they were from on the mainland and what sports teams they liked. We talked about sports for a while. We talked about how they liked Hawaii, how they didn't like Hawaii, and some goods and bads from it. Asked my favorite restaurant to eat at. We talked for like three hours, and I could not bring myself to actually ask them about spiritual things. And so I said, well, we got to get the kids in bed. We're out of here, and we left. Had three hours of talking about everything under the sun, everything under the sun. Just couldn't bring myself to do it. I felt like an utter failure that night failure. 
But you know what? That was the beginning of stepping out, launching out on faith. And let me just tell you this. Every time you launch out on faith, you're not going to hit a home run. And it's not about hitting a home run or even getting a base hit. It's about stepping out on faith. Because you see, it's not results that please God. It's faith that pleases God. It's not where you wind up. It's a matter of taking one step of faith at a time. That's the part that pleases God. Funny story, the family came back to church that next Sunday, and they uh, asked the pastor, hey, is there somebody that could tell us how we can know for sure when we die we're on our way to heaven? He goes, I've got just the right people. <laughs> and so me and Angela took Mark and Susie Hansen in a Sunday school classroom, went through the gospel with them, and they accepted Christ as Savior. First person I ever led to Christ in my entire life, I was probably 25, 26 years old. Awesome story. Like three years ago, Mark and Susie Hansen came and visited who we call about a church. He said on the front row, they're still in church, still serving Jesus, still raising their kids to, to love the Lord. What happened? Angela and I just decided one night, we're gonna stop saying Jesus is Lord and not obeying him. We're gonna launch out a little bit in faith. And, and I'm telling you this, one of the best decisions I've ever made in my entire life. But it didn't take place in the comfort zone. It was incredibly uncomfortable. It was incredibly scary but growth never takes place in the comfort zone. Great works for God never materialize without faith either. You're seated here today, not because of our family's faith and coming and starting who we call about as church, but by other families who came here and put down their roots and lived by faith too. Larry and Buffy Gregory, who oversee our children's ministry, uh, before who we call ever started, said that they wanted to be a part of our church and have served over there, uh, man, 250 plus Sundays with children. The Bible doesn't talk about purgatory, but I can only imagine that that was what it would be like <laughs> if there were such a place as purgatory, right? 250 Sundays with kids. Um, they love it. But you know what? They didn't always have 50 kids over there. There wasn't always a superstore over there every, every week. You know where our, our, our super church started with? My son Vanderlei, who's now gonna be 17 next month, he was one of our first super church kids. My daughter McKeeley was four at the time. She was one of our super church kids. Tori was one of our super church kids. How many kids do we have in super church? Three. That's it. Funny story, we had no nursery when we first started Hui College. You know why? Because we didn't have any babies. Not because we didn't have enough people. We had people waiting to work a nursery, but we just had no babies then. When our church began having babies, we started having nursery workers. Man, unbelievable. But we have what we have because other people had faith. They didn't come to a church where they, we had programs for everything. They didn't come to a children's ministry. We didn't come to a, uh, a church that had a dynamic music ministry. They just came because they believed in the mission of Jesus and because Jesus told them, they just launched out a little bit by faith. Andrea Paybody, who plays our, our music and sings every single Sunday, has sang and played for over 250 Sundays at who we call about Baptist church. You know why? Just by faith. Her and Tim came here and they said, hey, we believe what God's going to do here. They could see the vision and God told them to launch out as a family and they launched out and guess what? God's doing amazing things to their, their, their families. Both families of the military brought them here. Both families have gotten out of the military and decided to stay here because they believe in what Jesus is doing through his church here. That's launching out, friends. But it's uncomfortable and that's where great things for God happen. Final questions and we're done this morning. First of all, are you living by faith? Can you point back to the next seven days and said, I really took for me to do this. It really took faith for me to step out in this way in the last seven days. If you can't say that, then I'm gonna encourage you in the next seven days to find a way that you can live by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And God wants you and I to live by faith. Next, what are you asking God to do this year that requires faith on your part? 
Do you have any big prayers that you're praying this year? I got an email from a friend who says, pray for us, we're trying to have another baby this year. Man, praying for that. I got a letter in the mail from a person I did not know asking me this, this year if I would pray for them that they would be able to adopt. Praying for them. I don't even know them, but I'm praying for them. Is there anything in your life that you're asking God to do this year that would require faith on your part? If so, first of all, let me know because I want to get in. I'm praying with that for you because when we see the victory, I want to rejoice with you in that. But if you say, I don't really think so. I think I'm good this year. I think I can accomplish everything that I got on my goal list. Let me just tell you this. Your goals are not big enough then. If you say, I think I've got everything covered. I don't really need to pray. I would say to you, then make whatever you're trying to do a little bit bigger because God wants to get involved in that and do things that only he can do. It's funny, I often ask people, hey, how can I pray for you this week? And it's funny to me, sometimes people say, say things like, I can't think of anything, I think I'm good. It's just like, that's rather suspicious. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know about you, but I've always got something to pray about or pray for. And I'm not saying people that, that say that are liars or anything like that. I think it just maybe hasn't crossed our mind yet. But I'm telling you this, pray big prayers this year and expect God to do big things as we launch out together. Next question, are you ready for the next leg of the journey with Jesus? Are you ready for what God wants to do in your life this year? Are you ready to take the next step on your journey? Or are you content just washing your nets and going home when you're done? And this is personal here. What's your launch out step this year? What is it that God's gonna ask you to do where you're just gonna have to push the boat out into deep water where you don't know what's gonna happen and just trust that God's got it from here? Every single person needs to have a step like that. I've got some for myself, and frankly, they scare me a little bit. But all of us need to have an area where we want to launch out this year, go a little bit further than we've gone before, do a little bit more than we've done before. And if you've been in Hui Kala for any length of time, you might say, well, pastor, you're always encouraging us to take a step up, to keep moving forward, to, 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 to step up in our Christian walk. That's exactly right, because that's the story of the Bible. The Apostle Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, I would encourage you to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Never be content, complacent with where you are, because growth doesn't take place there. And with Peter, it was, hey, let me in your boat, Push out a little ways from the, wa- from the, the shoreline. Go out into the deep water. Let down your net and then come with me because I'm gonna show you things that are gonna knock your socks off. And Peter was the guy that we talked about last week who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved and baptized in one day because of Peter's preaching. None of that would have happened if the dude hadn't launched out. I'm just telling you that. So what's your plan to launch out this year? I hope you've got one. If you don't, if you don't, hey, if you want to just grab coffee with me this, this, this week and talk about what your plans for the New Year's, I'd be, I'd, I'm down with that. My number's in the bulletin every week of the world. If you're a lady and you want to talk with somebody about your goals, talk to my wife. She'd be happy to set up time to grab coffee with you and talk about where you need to launch out this year. But what we cannot do is stay washing our nets on the shoreline while Jesus is calling for us to launch out. Most important thing in the world if you're here today and you do not know for sure that heaven's your home, please don't leave this room until you know for sure that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. It's the most important journey you'll ever go on in your entire life, I promise you that. But for those of us that are children of God, this is our year, this is our time to launch out.